0: Today we're looking at Psalm chapter 59, Psalm 59. Now David wrote a lot of Psalms, but the 12 Psalms that we're looking at this summer, uh, he tells us the historical situation that gave rise to the Psalm. And so we're calling the series Outcry because we get to listen in as David cries out to the Lord from a particular situation. And uh, the Psalms give words to our cries, And that's one of the wonderful benefits is we get to see how other people of faith have processed life in all of its um, highs and lows. Somebody once said that the Psalms should never just be read. Uh, They need to be prayed. So you haven't really grappled with the Psalms until they have become the cry of our own hearts. So we like to start with the historical situation, and the historical situation is given to us in the superscript, Psalm 59's superscript. To the choir master, okay, so this is meant to be sung by the people of God, according to Do Not Destroy, a popular tune at the time, a miktam of David. We're not for sure what a miktam is, but it's probably either a liturgical or musical notation. When Saul sent men to watch David's house in order to kill him. Now that we know about, because in 1 Samuel chapter 19, verses 11 through 17, uh, we can read that story. Well, let me just tell you it. <coughs> so Saul uh, is determined to kill David. Because God has told Saul, I am removing the kingdom from you and giving it to another. And so God has told Saul, your son Jonathan will not be the next king of Israel. It's going to be given to someone else. And and this has Saul in a panic. And like uh, so often, the arrogant human heart thinks to itself, maybe I can thwart God's purposes. And Saul's suspicion falls upon David because it becomes increasingly evident that God's spirit is upon David, that God is with David, and that God has chosen David to be the next king. And Saul decides, if I could just get my hands on David, if I can just kill David, then God's plan can't come to pass, and then I win. And so in this particular situation, because Saul seeks... David's life on many occasions, but in this particular situation, he has sent people to watch David's house, with the idea that uh, when David comes out in the morning, they'll be able to grab him, kill him, or bring him to Saul to be killed. Well, David is married to Saul's daughter, Michael, and Michael loves David, and Michael hears about this plot to kill her husband, and so she says to David, David. If you do not escape tonight, tomorrow, your life is forfeit. And so Michael helps David escape from the house unseen. And she kind of uh, repels him out the window. She lowers him out the window, but I kind of envision her more like this, right? <laughs> letting him down. He, he couldn't have done this on his own. She's participating. She's participating. Well, the next morning, the messengers knock on the door because uh, David's not coming out, so they're going to come get him. But Michael's ready for them. Uh, She has put uh, uh, an idol, a household idol under the covers, and then a a pillow made out of goat's hair uh, at the head in order to fool the messengers. And she tells them, David is sick. He's on his bed. He cannot be bothered. And and I kind of Envision them looking in, right, seeing David uh, from afar, and and thinking, yeah, he's in his bed because they're fooled by the goats here. They go back to Saul, hey, David's uh, sick, and so we never got a chance to to see him. And David sa- or Saul says, "You go get that bed. I, you bring him to me on his sick bed, and I'm running him through. I'm going to kill him." And so they go back to the house in order to to literally carry sick David on his bed back to Saul in order to be killed. And, of course, they they realize when they get there that they've been fooled. Saul is outraged when he finds this out, and he demands an explanation from his daughter. How could you side with my enemy? Why did you do this to me? And she says, well, you know, David threatened to kill me, and so I had to. That is the, that's the historical situation that gives rise to Psalm 59. So now turn uh, to 59 and we will, I'll go ahead and read this Psalm. Deliver me from my enemies, O my God. Protect me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from those who work evil and save me from bloodthirsty men. For behold, they lie in wait for my life. Fierce men, stir up strife against me. For no transgression or sin of mine, O Lord, for no fault of mine they run and make ready. Awake, come to meet me and see. You, Lord, God of hosts, our God of Israel, rouse yourself to punish all the nations. Spare none of those who treacherously plot evil. Each evening they come back howling like dogs and prowling about the city. There they are, bellowing with their mouths with swords in their lips. For who, they think, will hear us? But you, O Lord, laugh at them. You hold all the nations in derision. O my strength, I will wait for you. For you, O God, are my fortress. My God in his steadfast love will meet me. God will let me look in triumph on my enemies. Kill them not, lest my people forget. Make them totter by your power and bring them down, O Lord, our shield. For the sin of their mouths, the words of their lips, let them be trapped in their pride. For the cursing and lies that they utter consume them in wrath. Consume them till they are no more, that they may know that God rules over Jacob to the ends of the earth. Each evening they come back, howling like dogs and prowling about the city. They wander about for food and growl if they do not get their fill. But I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning. For you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. O my strength, I will sing praises to you, for you, O God, are my fortress, the God who shows me steadfast love. (coughs) So there is a lot in this psalms. Focus on verse 8. But you, O Lord, laugh at them and hold all the nations in derision. I want to try to uh, answer two questions today. Number one, why does God laugh? And number two, why does God's laughing encourage David? All right, so number one, why does God laugh? But you, O oh Lord, laugh at them. You hold all the nations in derision. Well, God is laughing because he knows that the machinations of the wicked pose absolutely no threat to his good plans. He knows that the the plotting and scheming of the kingdom of darkness and of wicked people is about as dangerous as the bite of a toothless dog. And so he laughs. It's not a, uh, a laugh in terms of that's funny. It's a laugh of That is pathetic. Your attempts to disrupt my purposes in the world will come to absolutely nothing. How pathetic that you are plotting and scheming and working so hard to interrupt my plans. You stand no chance of success at all. And so it is a derisive laugh. Other translations say mocking and scorning. Because what's going on here? Saul's trying to fight God. God has verbalized his plan to make David king. He has communicated his purposes, and Saul doesn't like it, and Saul and his minions are, are working hard in order to thwart God's plan. But it's a pitiable effort. It's a fruitless effort. It's a laughable effort. You see, God is 100% sovereign. In Isaiah chapter 46, verses 9 and 10, God says this, I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. You get that? Declaring the end from the beginning and from time past, what is yet to be. God has so much control over the universe that he has created, that he can say, this is what will happen thousands of years from now, and it will happen, period. And no individual, and no government, and not Satan or his demons can threaten even the slightest God's purposes in this world. And so, God laughed. Let me take you over to Psalm chapter 2 where this theme is drilled down more. Psalm chapter 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. So here we see the reality is that there are, there are a lot of people in the world who resent the rule of God in the world and over their own lives. And they they plot together and they say, let's burst the bonds apart. Let's set ourselves free because God being in charge of our lives, God's laws being the laws of our country, ah, it's slavery for us. We need to be set free from the rule of God and His anointed. And His anointed, of course, is Jesus Christ. But their rage and their plotting is in vain. Verse 4 He who sits in the heavens laughs the Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. This is God saying, I have a purpose and I have a plan. And all of your rage and all of your plotting does not in the slightest threaten it, and it will not alter it, period. Verse 7, I will tell of the decree. Here it is. This is God's plan. The Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession." You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Verse 7 here, you are my son, today I have begotten you. <clears throat> this is um, said in, at Jesus' baptism, it's said again at Jesus' resurrection, and it is said again at Jesus' ascension. In other words, the, the New Testament understands that Jesus Christ is God's anointed king. And it is Jesus who will be uh, made the nations, will be given the nations as his heritage. It is Jesus who will possess the ends of the earth. And it is Jesus who will break those nations who oppose him with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise, rulers of the earth. And, of course, that appeal is for every person on earth, for you and for me. Be warned and be wise. God has a plan. His plan cannot be thwarted. His purposes will come to pass, and His purpose is to establish His rule across the universe through the kingship of his son Jesus Christ that will happen there is coming a day where every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess Jesus Christ is lord that is the future of our world and the future for all of us and so what does wisdom say if that's the future get kiss the sun make peace with your king now while you have a chance. I heard someone say one time, everyone is going to uh, fall on their knees before the Lord. But for some people, it's because he has broken their shins with the rod of iron, because they stood in defiance against him until he returned. And then his kingship was judgment for them. But right now, while we still, still live and before Jesus Christ returns, We have the opportunity to take refuge in him. We have the opportunity to kiss the son. We have the opportunity to make peace with him, to join him, right? To be on his side. And if you are not a follower of Christ, then God is making his appeal to you through me this morning. Kiss the son. Be warned. Be wise. He is your king. Don't fight him. Why rage against him? Why plot against him? Why resist him? There's no chance of success there. And so why is God laughing at Saul and Saul's minions? Because they're trying so hard to disrupt God's good purposes for David and ultimately God's uh, plans of of his kingdom. And and it's going to go nowhere. So now the question, why, why was David so encouraged by God's laughter? I think it's this, because David saw himself fundamentally on God's side, right? I'm on God's side, and if God laughs at my enemies, I can laugh too. If God is strong, well, then I'm strong, right? He says um, twice here, verse 9, oh, my strength, verse 17, oh, my strength, in in. Uh, Verse 9, O God, you are my fortress. Verse 16, you have been to me a fortress. Verse 17, you, O God, are my fortress. David identifies himself with God. And therefore, God's strength is his strength. God's laughter is his laughter. God's victory is his victory. Christian, do we understand that we are united with Christ by faith? We have identified ourselves with Christ. We're one with Him, which means Christ's victory is our victory. Let me just remind you of some scriptures. There are a lot of them that teach this, but I'm just going to highlight a couple of them. 1 <laughs> Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. But he who is joined to the Lord, and how do we become joined to the Lord? By repenting of our sins and pa- placing our faith in Him, Jesus Christ. He who is joined to the Lord, that's a a description of unity, joined, becomes one spirit with him. Colossians chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. If you're a Christian, that's true. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears then you also will appear with him in glory. That is a description of unity with Christ. We are so united with Christ that the real me is actually hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ returns, the real me shows up. That's the union we have. 1 John chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. The Spirit of a living God actually dwells within us. So here's the point. We are united with Christ. Thus, we share in His strength and we share in His victory. And so, God has already declared the end from the beginning. And since we are united with Christ, that's that's our end. So, let's just very simply and shortly think about Christ's victory, which is our victory. Christ is victorious over all His enemies. And that victory was won upon the cross, but it will be realized, it will become, be made manifest at his second coming, uh, so it will be tangible, seen when Christ returns. Uh, so all humans who oppose him, all governments who oppose him and his truth, the kingdom of darkness, they'll be taken out. Uh, They won't bother us anymore, right? They won't be a part of, of the universe that we live in. Christ is victorious over all his enemies. Christ is victorious over sin and its consequences. We live in a broken world because of sin. Sin broke the world. Christ has defeated sin and all of its consequences, which even now in the life of the believer... Many of those consequences are being overcome, but there's coming, when Christ returns, uh, there won't be any more yelling and screaming, no more abuse, no more cheating, right? No more tears, no more sickness, no more plane crashes. Every tear shall be wiped out of our eyes. Sin and its consequences will be removed from our existence. Why? Because we're united with Christ and His victory over sin and its consequences becomes our victory. Jesus' victory is in every nook and cranny of the universe. In Matthew 28, 18, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. There's no authority anywhere in the universe outside of Christ's authority. So, it's going to be everywhere you go. Everywhere you go, Christ is king, both in in fact and in reality. And, I love this one, his kingdom lasts forever. Revelation 11, 15, John uh, has been given a vision of the future. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. So it's not like we get, boy, we're going to get this little taste someday of God being king and it's going to be awesome but then it goes back to the way it's been. No. This is the the part that's going to be the little teeny thing that's now in the past, and then it'll be the kingdom of Christ without end. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of Jesus Christ, and it goes forever and ever and ever. And we dwell with him in victory forever and ever. And so, two takeaways from this that I see. Because we are united with Christ in his victory... Number one, we too can laugh at the bark of wickedness, just like howling dogs, and we can laugh at their bark. And number two, while we wait for our ultimate deliverance, God is our strength and our fortress. You know, David David was not immediately delivered. There There were years in which Saul chased him around trying to kill him. But while he waited for his ultimate deliverance, God was his strength and was his fortress. And that is our privilege as followers of Christ in this world. So listen, I could not not prepare this sermon this week without just constantly thinking about Jason and Teresa. And um, Jason's death in our minds was untimely. Jason, he, larger than life. I mean, this guy, alive. And then just like that, he's not here. And, and the, it's hard not to, at first, to think, ah, he was robbed. So much good that was, taken, that was taken from him by this untimely death. But, you know, that's not really true. Death did not rob Jason of even one tiny bit of God's good purposes for him. Jason is united with Jesus Christ and therefore, none of God's plan for Jason, his, none of God's good purposes, was lost in his death at 35. Jason will rise again from the dead. He will be with us for all eternity, doing all that God has planned for him to do and enjoying all the victory there is in Jesus Christ. That's the reality. So we grieve, but we really don't grieve for Jason. He's not lost. Anything we grieve for Teresa, we grieve for Jason's mom and sister, and Mike, his best friend, and those who love Jason and, and are going to miss him and his big smile, and his helpfulness, and his totally adventuresome spirit. But in our as we wait for our deliverance, I think I can't help but think of Teresa here as she waits for God's ultimate deliverance. God is. Teresa's strength. You are my strength and you are my fortress. And we, we can. God is with us even now as we wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to return and his victory to be realized in every nook and cranny of our universe.